0: So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. I was not sure how to actually present this podcast. And in fact, many people would say, why would you present a podcast about a a failure in terms of uh, placing someone? But I think there are many lessons to be learned from not doing something as well as we would have liked to. And I think there are more lessons to be learned from things that don't go well than things that actually do go well. And I find too many case studies focus on what went well without learning lessons on what did not work. And the problem with case studies, if you've got, you know, five or six case studies and all of them focus on things that worked, I mean, your case studies are obviously going to be biased. So we decided to do a podcast about candidate that we took on, and I would say that we didn't do as well as we wanted to do in placing him. In fact, we failed to place him at the top three, and we wanted to talk about some of the lessons we learned from that experience. And of course, some people would read into this that maybe this is a negative thing to discuss, but I think it's very positive. I think every candidate who works with us and reads the the websites, you know, the testimonials on our websites and the description of our websites knows that while we strive to place every candidate, we can never be successful all the time. We do aim for a 100% placement rate. At the moment, we have an 85% placement rate across the top three firms. And we're about 96%, 98% across all firms. A couple of people have never been placed, two people actually. And reasons for that is they decided not to pursue management consulting careers or move in a different direction versus management consulting. But the point is, it's important to learn from mistakes. And we wanted to pick a mistake that I think is counterintuitive. So for example, someone who has a Watton MBA did very well, actually. Exceptional profile, very strong extracurricular activities, very strong social interest, outstanding career in investment banking. for over six years, you know, rising all the way to, um, I think, one level below director or something like that. I don't want to give away too many details to place the candidate, but the point is a Wharton graduate in Toronto, outstanding career, outstanding profile, and we weren't able to place him at Bain, McKinsey, or BCG, and we want to talk about why we think that happened and what are the lessons for candidates with similar backgrounds and what they can learn from But I think the lessons here apply to everyone because the mistakes the candidate made and I think the mistakes we made in guiding him through fixing those flaws in his profile apply to everyone. So let's just talk about the background of the person. I talked about why we did this podcast. Let's talk about the background of this person. As I mentioned, Watton MBA traveled to a few developing countries over his summer vacation helping with um, building of houses and building of schools and so on. I'm not going to name the countries to protect the individual. Also very strong in social events at his school. President of many clubs, many committees, founded a social movement when he was at Wharton. Not a big social movement, but something that obviously gets attention on your resume. Strong profile, excellent academic, went to an Ivy League undergraduate school, did very well, similar profile of just being a leader in the classroom, outside the classroom, went to Wharton, I'm not going to say how he finished, I think that'll give it away, but the point is he did well, and he was really a top graduate in the year that he came out, went into a bulge bracket investment bank. Ended very well. I mean, I'm not exactly familiar with how investment banking works, but we do have one of our investors in firms consulting who looked at the resume and said, you know, this is we um, obviously progress very quickly. So an outstanding candidate by any measure, not someone you would think would have a problem placing on paper anyway. We had our first screening call with him. And in fact, this was one of the screening calls we did over a video conference, not just audio over Skype. And obviously, he came across very well, spoke very well. He knew what he was doing, clearly. But we did pick up a few issues with him that we felt needed to be addressed and needed to be addressed carefully and considerately. The first one is that he was arrogant. It was very clear that this was an arrogant guy who had expectations. He almost had a mentality of, I went to Wharton, did very well. I'm an outstanding banker. Therefore, I should be able to do this. And if why are you even screening me? That was the mentality and that immediately raised warning bells for us because consultants should be humble. The consulting culture talks about respect, integrity and the culture of uh, earning the right to do things. No privileges but earned right. So the arrogance was a problem for us and we knew it would be a problem with consulting firms as well. The other thing which we found surprisingly to be a problem but it was a big problem for us is that when we spoke about finance the guy was really good about finance. I mean He could talk about how he was helping manage some of the head funds and investments for the firm and how he was helping them get the alpha right. And so now wonderful alpha, betas and whatever else in finance, we obviously understand the language, but we don't like when people speak that way for a number of reasons. Firstly, in our mind, we think, are you speaking in this way because you want to sound smart, which is bad? Are you speaking this way because you don't know how to speak in a simple language, which is also bad? Or are you speaking this way because you want to make other people look stupid, which is also bad. So no matter how many ways we cut this, there's no good way to speak. There's no good reason to speak that way. And it was a bit of an issue for us. And we did find beyond the fact that he spoke this technical way, when we kind sort of dealt into the financial issues, we found that his finance knowledge, while strong, was weak in some areas. I know it sounds surprising, but we find that a lot with graduates where while they learned a certain skill in a certain area, if they're working in banking, they kind of forget some of the key techniques in other areas. A strong candidate nonetheless, but because he was recruiting for the corporate finance practice, we did test these skills. And the other area I found that he was a little bit weak, and it was a big warning sign for us, is the fact that he didn't really understand cases. So, we kind of expected him to do better in the cases, but This is initially before you went for the interview, but we found it was very weak on the cases. And the part that we found particularly worrying, and we're going to zoom in on the problem here that we highlighted in the screening call, is that when you're coming in at an engagement manager level, which is the level he would have interviewed at, you can't just be good at solving your own cases. You've got to be the kind of person who can manage other people solving cases. So you have to be good at solving cases, but be at the level whereby you can observe other people solving cases and be able to guide them and coach them. It's almost a double whammy, right? You can't just manage yourself. You have to be able to manage other people. And we put together a program. We took him in with some reservation, and we were very careful. We had two screening calls with this candidate to make sure that the arrogance was something that he was aware of and he was willing to fix, and he was not aware of it. And we find most candidates with his background who have been so successful in their career generally are not aware of it. They've generally gotten what they've wanted, so they've never been told they're arrogant because to people that engage them, that's expected of them. We pointed out that his finance knowledge was could be sharpened, and especially his communication on finance had to be sharpened. You cannot speak in this verbose way with a lot of technical data. You've got to say what you want to say in simple language. And we made him go read a McKinsey quarterly articles on corporate finance, because if you read those articles, they take very complex concepts and explain it in a way even a high school student should be able to understand And we pointed out to him that this communication would be a big issue for us. Arrogance, he's got to worry about it because if an interviewer sees that, they go down on you even tougher. They actually make the interviews harder if they think you're arrogant. And we pointed out to them that he's got to show leadership, not just being able to solve his cases, but he's going to be given questions where they're going to test for his ability to solve other, to handle guiding other people. And I think he took these things as, he's a Watton grad, he'd be able to handle it, give me the problem, I'll deal with it. The kind of process we set up for him was threefold. Finance communication was a big issue for us. And we spent a lot of time with him doing a heck of a lot of finance cases with him just to make sure he could communicate well. And to be honest, the first four or five hours are pretty painful. You know, he would go into very technical stuff around beta and what drives beta and the capital asset problem, a pricing model and why it is inaccurate and why it's accurate and how the equations work. And we said that's actually irrelevant. In consulting, is not the way you work. Consulting is the opposite. Start with the concept and then trying to figure out how it can solve the problem. You start with the problem and then figure out what concept could solve the case. And the equation or whatever it is you're working with, whether it's the CAPM model or whether it's the beta asset pricing model or whatever it is you're working with, It's not the starting point. It's one of the ways you fix the issue. And the issue is more important, the the model you use. In fact, the issue should be explained in layman's terms, like a company wants to increase its share price or a company wants to manage the volatility of earnings. But more importantly, why does it want to manage the volatility of earnings? Are investors agitating? If investors are agitating, do you have the right kind of investor group? So the question is, do you have the right kind of investor group for the kind of volatility your business model wants to generate? And obviously, that has nothing to do with the CAPM model. I mean, that's typical strategy issues. And then you try to think to yourself, okay, how do I work out the volatility in my share price? How do I work out the volatility my investors are looking for? Should I go for this level of volatility? What kind of risk does it introduce to my balance sheet? So that kind of language, I think the candidate was not very good at. And we had to teach him to speak in that very clear, concise way. And taking finance technical concepts and bringing this clarity was very difficult for him. And I think he struggled a lot on it. I think to his credit, he really made an effort to to do it. And I think the fact that working at a bar's bracket firm, in one way, he never expected to be struggling so much to do this, but he did manage to, I think, slay that barrier quite well. And we were quite impressed with the way he was communicating, you know, within his 10th lesson and so on. Leadership and case management issues, I think we did struggle a lot on them. With us, I think it was very clear that he was arrogant because, for example, he was... Very polite and team-driven in the cases we'd do with him. But he would be arrogant in other interactions. For example, we would tell him, hey, um, I'm just going to change his name here. Hey, Felix, is it possible for you to move the session by an hour? You're five minutes late for the call, and we have another candidate who we could give the time to, and we're not sure if you're going to dial in, and we get a message back from him in six minutes saying, you know, you know I'm an investment banker, my hours are long. I've booked the time, blah, blah, blah. The point is this. You are not being measured on your arrogance in the case alone. You're being measured in your arrogance in all levels of interaction. The way you write emails, the way you speak to recruiters, the way you manage yourselves outside of the case. And It was very clear to us that while he knew arrogance was a problem, he wasn't trying to fix it. He was trying to hide it. And We pointed this out. We had a discussion with him, and I told him, look. And Felix, it's important for you to understand that I don't like having these discussions when I feel that a candidate is trying to pull the wool over our eyes. You should not try to hide your arrogance, because if you do that and you join a consulting firm, you're going to be joining a firm whereby you don't have a fit, and they will manage you out fairly quickly. You've got to hit this head on and understand that the kind of culture that investment banking has is not the kind of culture that management consulting has. I mean, the differences are stark, and people don't understand this. In investment bank, you're treated like you're nothing, but you paid a lot of money. In consulting, you earn a lot of money, not as much as investment banking, but still a lot. And you're treated like you are important. The cultures are vastly different, totally different. I mean, in consulting, you don't have senior people using profanity and the year-end parties are not as extreme as in investment banking. Yeah, sure. I mean, there are times, years, when things are the money is flowing and they do some outrageous things. But the culture is one of respect, collegiality, and teamwork at consulting. In banking, it is different. The attitude and culture and the way you carried yourself in banking was good for banking, but is not good for consulting. And we can see it in the way you interact. So either you fix the arrogance at the root level, or you're going to do something in your interview that's going to give it away. And then finally, we looked at case management, which he struggled on the ability to not just work on cases himself, but we also gave him cases whereby he was... One case we gave him was that, okay, you're a project manager dealing with a team that needs to build a business model, sort of a business model, Excel model to understand the benefits for this client and a team that needs to build the strategy recommendations for the client. We gave him the slides and said, this is what your team is recommending. How would you analyze this? What we noticed, he was very good at digging into the detail, but he was very bad at guiding people to do the work themselves. And we pointed this out. The lessons he had with us was more than the average, I'll say. I mean, most experienced highs, we always tell experienced highers, if you work with us, you're going to work with us longer than most people. So be aware of that. And I think he fixed the case management skills quite well. He fixed the leadership skills well. He fixed the finance communication very well. And I think it definitely helped him in his finance career to be able to do that. But he still struggled with arrogance. We didn't ask him to do any networking because it wasn't going to matter. I mean, just his background was so good that he would be able to get an interview. He managed to get interviews at all the big firms he applied to. He made first round at Bain and BCG. He made the second round, final round at McKinsey, final round at BCG. He got dinged at Bain, which was expected. Bain really is quite careful on these cultural issues. He got dinged at McKinsey, and McKinsey was quite direct with him, saying that his culture or the style at which he worked, while was obviously is the root for his success, would not be the root of his success in management consulting. And McKinsey was quite direct in his feedback, saying that, look, the way you design this project, for example, means that you wouldn't give your team any break, you would drive them too hard. And while you have to obviously do what's important for the client, you have to obviously take care of your team. BCG was also direct and said that we're not sure that you have the kind of personality that we could put in front of a client. We wouldn't be comfortable putting you in front of a client. While you obviously answered the case very well, very structured, very logical, the way you develop yourself and the way you presented yourself, we're not sure that's the kind of person we want to put in front of a client. So the lesson learned here is this. You notice that he passed the cases. No firm said he failed the cases. No firm says that he was poor on communication. No firm said he was poor on the finance issue. I mean, he did very well on the finance case, actually. I thought he got a quite a hard finance case at McKinsey's second round. But the feedback was all about his attitude, all about the fit to management consulting. And what I point out to management consulting, to candidates aspiring to be management consultants, and the reason why we screen candidates is that It's not about whether you want to be a management consultant at the end of the day. It doesn't mean anything to us that you want to be a management consultant. It's all about your attitude. It's about your value system. It's about the chain of decisions you made that made you decide you want to be a management consultant. Do you understand the management consulting philosophy of putting a client first? Do you truly understand what that means? And most people tell us that means making a client happy. And I point out to them, actually, it doesn't mean making a client happy. It means what's doing in the best interest of a client. And sometimes it means making a client unhappy if you do what's in the best interest of a client. And people always tell us, well, how can that be? I mean, obviously, you have to make a client happy to do what's in their best interest. And I point out to them that actually that's not true. Sometimes it means walking away from a project that a client wants to do because you don't think it's going to solve their root issues, but it's going to cost them millions of dollars to do. And because you don't think it's in the client's best interest to do this, you walk away. That makes the client unhappy, obviously but it's putting the client's interest first. And in this particular case, we've had many cases like this. We've obviously learned to screen for it a lot better, but if the warning sign comes up early in the screening process, we know that unless the client is really committed to fixing it and we have to test for that commitment, it's never going to be fixed. And commitment to fixing it is not just about getting the job, it's about truly wanting to be a different person and doing it for the right reasons. I think this candidate while he was an outstanding candidate and has actually stayed in banking and gone on to be very successful he was not cut out to be a management consultant. He was cut out to be a banker. and I think he's going to be a fantastic banker in the long term but he's just not someone who's going to put the best interests of the client first and put the best interests of his team first. And we read the McKinsey for example how they describe themselves it's about doing it's about solving critical issues for leading corporations around the world and It's about attracting, developing, and retaining the best people in the world to do that work. You have to do what's in the best interest of your client, and you have to be able to work with people to accomplish that. And if you don't have the culture, you don't have the style, you don't have the vibe that's going to do that, you're not going to make it. I mean, that's the moral of the story. You have to be someone who understands what consulting is about. And consulting is not a right of any smart person who graduated from any top business school in the world. It is a privilege. It's a privilege. To be able to sit in front of an executive of a major corporation anywhere in the world and be able to guide them through their issues, it is never a right. It is a privilege. And only when people understand that it's a privilege do they really understand what management consulting is about. And I don't think this candidate ever understood that. I think he tried to pretend he understood that, but he didn't. And and at the end of the day, partners, if they even see a hint of that in you, they will not hire you. And I mean, of course, after the recent scandals firms have had, there's even more worry about that. But you have to be careful that your intent is correct when you want to be a management consultant. I'm not saying you have to be a priest when you do this, have pure of heart and so on. But the point is that when it comes to dealing with clients and dealing with the reputation of a firm and dealing with the well-being of your colleagues on an engagement, firms are very careful about who they hire. And I do feel that consulting firms have been a bit lax in terms of who they recruit recently. And I hope that with the recent problems they've had, they would obviously raise the standards that they've applied to recruiting people. At the end of the day, it's about your attitude and why you want to do things. Your motivation is what drives you to do things. And I do feel that if you have the wrong motivation, you'll end up doing the wrong things in the long term if the opportunity presents itself. I think in this candidate's case, it was actually good for him to fail. It was probably the first time he's ever failed. In fact, what he told us, the debriefing sessions, it was the first time He's failed. He's actually remained a client of the firm, and we've coached him through his banking career on this dynamic that he's had with him, and he's actually become a much better banker. But the point is this. Sometimes you have to fail to learn, and unfortunately for him, he had to fail. He was never going to learn if he got the offer because he wouldn't have realized he had anything to learn. You don't have to be that candidate. Do not be a candidate who has to face failure to learn. Be a candidate who is willing to take feedback for what it is worth and be able to adjust their profile and their personality to become a better consulting candidate do not allow failure to be the only way you have to learn if that is the only way you have to learn then you're going to have a very unhappy few months ahead of you so hopefully you found that podcast interesting and please write to us with questions or comment and we'll be happy to follow it up with another podcast thank you And that's it for today's episode i hope you enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed doing the episode finally i want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers